This is the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast interview with Lindsay Brian Podvin. Start just tracking, like we do with so many of our clients, you know, what's going on when this thing happens? What's going on when you get these like tantrums or these outbursts? Oh, well, A, B, and C happen first. So really just starting to check in with yourself to see what your relationship with money is like so you can work on whether or not it's working for you or not. And what I mean by that is if it's working for you, you are able to look at your money and understand with confidence and competence that you are in control of your money and your money is not in control of you. You're listening to the Music Therapy Chronicles, podcast about music therapy from a variety of perspectives. Our ambition is to inspire and connect listeners through meaningful conversations, just like a music therapy conference you can listen to anywhere. My name is Trisha Coyote, and I am a board-certified music therapist from the New England region. If you like what you hear, join our group on Facebook and share your own insights and thoughts about the episodes. You can also connect with us on social media and online at Music Therapy Chronicles. Welcome back to the Music Therapy Chronicles podcast. Today's interview is an extra special one in a way because Lindsay, our guest for today, is not a music therapist, but she is a financial therapist. So you may or may not know this, but personal finance is something I'm pretty passionate about. I would not say in any way that I am an expert, but it is something that I truly enjoy diving into, talking about, learning about, um, I don't want to say educating about, but at least like creating thought-provoking spaces in the, on this topic. So I hope that you are ready for this conversation. I know talking about money can be very taboo depending on your personal beliefs and uh, experiences and what have you, but I think that having more conversations like this is very, very important, and I know that you will learn a lot from Lindsay today. I first heard her on Kate's podcast, The Creative Therapy Umbrella, and I followed her and fell in love with everything she's doing. Um, You'll hear in this episode when she announced her collaboration with Ellevest, I like could not contain my excitement because I also love Ellevest. Links to all that will, of course, be in the show notes. So anyway, a little bit of fangirling in this episode, but also just a really great conversation. Very thought-provoking, very eye-opening. We touch on a lot of stuff. And check out all of Lindsay's content to dive into all of that more. So if you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving us a rating and review. Five stars is our favorite, of course. And you can also find us online and on social media at Music Therapy Chronicles. Hop on our newsletter so you know um, all the exciting things that are coming up. You'll know about our future pod courses, when the community will be opening again, sneak peeks of future guests, all that good stuff. I also want to let you know that this podcast is sponsored by MTPC or the Music Therapy Podcast Collective which is your one-stop shop for all the amazing pod courses that us music therapy podcasters are putting out. Currently, our latest pod course from Music Therapy Chronicles is Music is Your Superpower. Uh, If you didn't hear last week's episode, I talk all about it and some sneak peeks about what's inside the course, but that pod course is currently on sale. It's pre-approved for six CMTE credits and to celebrate, Uh, the launch of this course. We are holding our last sale of the year. The entire MTPC shop is on sale uh, for about one more week. So if you'd like to get in some more CMTEs before the end of the year and you love listening to podcasts, here's your opportunity. Our pod courses are a great next step to take If you've been listening to various podcasts for a while and you're ready to dive deeper into the information to expand your learning and to uh, find some applications for all the awesome stuff you're listening to each week, the pod courses are your opportunity to do that. So please check those out. Links, of course, are always in the show notes. So for now, 
let's get into this episode with Lindsay. Lindsay, welcome to the Music Therapy Chronicles. I am really excited to be here and I love anything that has chronicles in it because I was a Chronicles of Narnia kid growing up so I was extra excited (laughs) when you asked me to be on your show. I was like yes please. Thank you. Uh, It's one of those names that like popped into my head Mm -hmm. and I was like you know that that sounds kind of cool and so I went with it. Um, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. So um, to start our listeners off, can you tell them a little bit about yourself? And I'll say, um, usually my guests are music therapists. So you're not a music therapist, which nope. is <laughs> awesome. Uh, but I just want to preface with that in case anyone gets a little confused. So sure. go ahead. Right on. Uh, so I am a social worker. Um, so I'm a clinical therapist. Um, prior to a few years ago, I mostly did anxiety and depression work. And like a lot of people in the therapy field or more likely in the social work field, bobbed around between nonprofits and a healthcare system and academic research and private practice. And the through line through all of my professional work was what's going on with my money? What's going on with my clients' money? And I felt like it was just such a missing link in our world that we could talk to our clients about really hard stuff like sex and trauma and all of these challenging, painful things. And yet we didn't have the wherewithal to talk about money in a meaningful way. Um, And so I, I really felt like there was just something missing. And I sought out additional training in financial social work and in financial therapy um, and got certified in financial social work in May of 2018 and really made that my, my private practice mission was to, to move into seeing financial therapy clients. And so now in my practice, Mind Money Balance, I have two arms of my work. I have my clinical arm where I'm helping individuals and couples using financial therapy. And then I have my consulting arm helping other private practice therapists set up sustainable and profitable businesses so they don't burn themselves out and leave the field or undercharge and overwork and all the things that so many of us helpers and healers have a tendency to do. Yeah. And uh, even being a, a different allied health professional, every time I listen to your show, everything completely resonates. And I know a lot of the listeners feel the same way. So uh, I'm really excited to dive into this as both a helping professional and as a professional human being who experiences their own um, relationship with money, I'll say. You know, mm-hmm. we all have a different relationship with money. And ours just happens to be unique based on the type of people we are, the type of jobs we work. All that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Cool. So what initially even drew you to be a helping professional? What what about that? Oh my sport? gosh, that is a really good question. Um, I, I bobbed around a lot in terms of what I wanted to do. Um, when I was very young, I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then I learned really quickly that that meant I had to euthanize animals. So I wanted mm. no part of that. And then I thought... I I like history, I like social studies, I like psychology and sociology. So in entering college, I think I changed my major three or four times from law to journalism to I think I finally landed on sociology and thought I wanted to study and teach. And then after finishing my undergrad, realized I didn't want to do my PhD Mm. and graduated right into the Great Recession. Actually, let me preface it right before the Great Recession. So I was on the cusp of the Great Recession where we were told, go to college. It doesn't matter what you study. You'll get a job. Mm -hmm. And that literally happened for me. I had a degree, a bachelor's of arts in sociology, no work experience beyond um, I was a server from the time I was like 16. So I'd always been working, but not working in an office setting or anything like that. Um, So I graduated on a Friday. Sunday, I was moving from my home in Michigan to Chicago to start working in marketing, which I knew nothing about, had never taken a class on, didn't even know what the word meant, and got a job right away. Turns out, fast forward, hated it. The economy crashed in the meantime. I didn't really grasp what that meant. 
-hmm. So I moved back home to Michigan when my contract ended and thought, I'll just find something else. That's what I did a few months ago or a year ago or whatever it was. And the economy had totally wiped out. And I was seeing friends of mine, people who were up to a decade older than me, who'd been working, who were laid off, couldn't find work. We were all back in the service industry again. And it was like the twilight zone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I went back to school knowing that I want to do something helping adjacent, but because of, I shared with you, I changed my mind so much. I chose social work because I thought I could go between like school social work and nonprofits and maybe case management and maybe nonprofit management. So it felt like a good fit in that it was broad enough to be able to help without having to narrow down what exactly that meant. So I applied to one grad school and I told myself, if I get in, I'll go to social work school. If I don't get in, I'll spend another year figuring it out. Got in, went to social work school and um, had a passion for mental health and specialized in interpersonal mental health care. And that's it, I think. Yeah. I think that's a really cool story, but also the fact that it ties back so much to the, our topic today. Yeah. And I'm sure that you've like done your own um, reflection on this, but how much how much do you think that timing of graduating, experiencing, having a job, trying to switch, uh, how much of that do you think informed or um, motivated you to now niche into finance? Uh, tremendously, obviously, yeah. right? It, I don't think it's possible for us as helpers and to, to totally divorce ourselves from our work. I grew up in a financially privileged household. My college was paid for. And I knew in the back of my head that if, you know, I I left that marketing job and went back into serving, if push came to shove, I could move back home. Mm. You know, I had a solid financial safety net because of my family, because of where I came from. And I didn't take that for granted. And when I finished grad school, I was earning less money than I did as a waitress. Right, which is also a common story. Um, And so it didn't, like, I had a tremendous leg up. And at the same time, I was going to be spinning my wheels if I didn't make some drastic changes. And let me be clear that I wasn't, like, spending frivolously. I wasn't going on shopping sprees. It was really, like, how do I manage this paycheck to paycheck stuff? Got interested personally in how to manage my money and started to make some progress for sure. So I wasn't running out of my paycheck every month, but there was only so much you can cut. You know, I was living in a high cost of living area in the cheapest apartment I could find, um, shopping very economically. And it also really impacted my mental health. I was working in a place where I loved the work, but it was incredibly mentally draining. I was having chronic insomnia because I wasn't able to create a barrier between my work Mm -hmm. and my life. And then I was also stressed because I just couldn't afford things. Um, and that impacted my overall mental health and well-being. I wasn't showing up as a good social worker because I was exhausted. Because I was run down, I was getting sick all the time. I caught every bug you could possibly get under the sun. Obviously, this is pre-COVID days. Um, and I got the opportunity to leave that nonprofit for a better paying social work job. And I did the wrestling that so many of us do when we leave something we love for something mm-hmm. else, because in our fields, we are told you did this because you don't care about money or money is not important to you. Or remember, you didn't choose this field because you're going to make money. Um, but when I left <laughs> and I got a significant pay raise, I could breathe again. Mm-hmm. I actually started sleeping again. My health improved. Um, it, it was a game changer for me. And that's really my personal experience of going shit no no wonder and naivete as well like no wonder when we are struggling financially it's so hard to do anything else and in therapy we always talk about like safety we first have to establish safety before we do anything else and it's really freaking hard to establish safety if you're worried about whether or not you're going to have groceries if you're worried about whether or not you can pay your car note it's incredibly stressful. And so for us in our field to just ignore the finances in our clients' lives just feels like such a swing and a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And in our own lives. Totally. Especially (laughs) in our own lives. We cannot care for others unless we care for ourselves. And I preach this all the time. 
that practicing financial self-care and financial wellness is what affords us the ability to take care of our physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Yeah. And it, um, hearing you speak made me think of this catch-22 that, you know, we, we as a profession, I'll say music therapists in general, we're under we know that we should be compensated more for our work based on like the equivalent of other healthcare professionals, but we're just where we're at right now um, with recognition and everything. And same thing as you said, people want to change positions, but then there's this guilt factor and, you know, maybe it's like, how often are we keeping ourselves small by saying exactly, I didn't get into this profession for money and, you know, keeping ourselves in this box that we so need to break out of. Um, and I really appreciate everything that you do because you're at putting voice to all of this. You're empowering people to take charge of their own financial well-being. You're providing them with resources to do it. And you're opening up the conversation uh, because I talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And so it doesn't feel taboo to me, but it's interesting when you step into a space where it is and all of a sudden, you know, you're like being perceived in this way. Um, it doesn't feel good, even though right. you even though we know like these conversations need to be happening. And when you are around them and used to it, it it feels taboo that other people don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So tell us some misconceptions that you get a lot about the business side of, of doing therapy and how that relates to our relationship with money. There are so (laughs) many misconceptions out there. And I think one thing that I, I want to share with your listeners is that there is so much noise out there about how to run a private practice or how to run a health and wellness business or allied health business. And what you have to know is your numbers and your needs. And then you can literally dial down the noise of the things that don't align with you. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, yes, TikTok can grow your business. Yes, Instagram can grow your business. Yes, a podcast can grow your business. But also, do you want those outlets to grow your business? Is that where you want to spend your time and energy? Mm-hmm. If yes, go for it. But if not, there are so many other ways that you can grow a practice in a sustainable way. And before even picking a marketing path, before even choosing a logo, before even landing on a, a business name, first sit down with your numbers. That is yeah. the thing I have to have to stress is, how much money do you need to take care of yourself and your, and your household? How much money do you need each month? Figure out what that number is, add 25%, and then you have a good idea of how much money you need your, bris- your business to be bringing in every single month. Um, and when I say expenses, I mean your household expenses and also your business expenses because it costs money to run a business. Um, so looking at your unique numbers and including things like, am I able to take time off? Am I able to cover my own health care? Am I able to go to my own therapy sessions? Mm-hmm. Making sure that all of those things are need- that are needed are being accounted for in your practice. And then you can move forward. It's It's like a lot of anxiety in that what we don't know can make us really nervous or make us really scared. And if we don't know our numbers, it feels incredibly intimidating. It feels incredibly daunting. We put a lot of projection onto it versus sitting down and and looking at the numbers to see how big or scary that, that boogeyman is, so to speak. And so many times it's not as bad as we make it out to be. We tend to catastrophize when we don't have an idea of what's going on. So Aside from like misconceptions, you have to know your own money and then you can figure everything else out. Hmm. I was having a conversation with a colleague recently who has a podcast um, and she and I often talk about like caseload comfortability, matching that with our, um, I don't want to say our desired income. What's like the minimum lifestyle income? Yes. What's that term? Mm-hmm. Minimum, I mean, minimum viable income, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. All right. So our minimum viable income, you know, divided by our comfortable caseload. Anyway, mm-hmm. so we were talking about um, she's getting some sponsors for her podcast, which mm-hmm. is awesome. And she was kind of just like throwing out numbers, shot in the dark. She was like, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. Is this too much? And I said to her, well, think about it like your caseload. Mm-hmm. You know, you know your your minimum viable income probably not all going to go to the podcast right now, but it was like, so take that and work with it. You know, it's the same idea. Um, 
and it was just interesting that that sh- mindset shift, you know, the connection yeah. between the two things wasn't there until someone could reflect back, like, you know how to do this, you know, right, like, right. it's just, you're, it's in front of you and you're just not seeing the forest to the trees quite yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, for the people who, who don't know, why do you need to add 25%? Oh, taxes. I was thinking the same thing after I said that. I was like, oh, add, and tw- always add 25% for taxes. And if you want to be a little more conservative, round it up to 30% so you really can make sure you've, you've got all your bills paid. Yeah. So I'll give my personal experience. I took um, a subcontracting job right after, out of um, in music therapy. You have to do an internship after college. Yep. Very similar. So mm-hmm. out of my internship, I took a subcontracting job um, that you know, no benefits, kind of just your hourly rate, you pay your own taxes, all that kind of stuff. And I didn't have a printer where I was living. So my internship supervisor kindly printed out um, my contract for me at the location I was working. And she was like, wow, you're going to be making that much an hour. And here I am with this supervisor who's been working in the field for 10 years. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this must be great. Like, yes, that's how much money I'm going to be making an hour. Um, and quickly realized that that was not a minimum viable income for myself because in business or in subcontract work, there is, you need that 30%. You need money for um, to put away for retirement. You need to account for health insurance and you know your vehicle and all these things that when you're looking at potentially what you could make in annual income, like that's you, the business person, that's you, the sole proprietor. That's not Mm -hmm. Patricia. Right. Uh, Right. Yeah. So I feel like that for anyone who's like going into subcontracting or starting a business, like the number might look really big and exciting, uh, but it, it dwindles really quickly once you realize all those other things that aren't included. Yep. Exactly. And that's also why I think so many people get into trouble when they do subcontracting. It's pretty standard in our field, right? To do 1099 work, Mm. um, which to quickly break it down, 1099 is contracted work where the person you are working for does not, um, cannot ask of you, you need to work this specific number of hours. They also don't provide you with health insurance, retirement benefits, FMLA, any of those kind of benefits packages that you would get in traditional employment, which we would call W-2 employment. But the problem is that so many of us don't even have access to the difference between the two, that we often are treated as employees when we are 1099 contractors, right? So a lot of people will say, well, you have to be here Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. That's just the way that it is, right? Which if you're actually a 1099er, they can't give you those types of working hours. It has to be more like a contract. So it's, it's really interesting. I hear that all the time and they see that big number, that hourly rate number, that fee split number. And they're like, oh, score. But what they're not accounting for is exactly that. Yeah. Health insurance, paid time off, which you must give yourself if you are yes. in private practice, <laughs> and paying for all of those things that might come with traditional employment. Mm, yes. Thank you for uh, breaking that down in a much yeah. more synthesized way than my <laughs> rambling. Sure. No, no, I appreciate hearing it um, in, in so many ways. And I'm also a fan, as you know, because you listen to my podcast, I repeat things a lot mm. because we all know that it can take numerous times for us to be exposed to a concept for it to click. And there may be times where we hear something again and again and again, and it doesn't sink in until the seventh or eighth time, right? Or we, we finally connect the dots in a way that feels good. Or somebody explains something in a slightly different way that on that particular day makes sense to our brain. So I'm all about, you know, explaining it in a few different ways and, and repeating without, you know, speaking down to anyone. I say this with respect. Um, you're such a therapist. I know. <laughs> I was talking to a girlfriend earlier and they're like, oh, I'm so glad you're a therapist. I'm like, Thank you. Sometimes it's nice. You yeah, know? Like, right? Not that we're, we therapize each other, but it totally. is nice to just like have that in a friendship. Yes, yes. So, okay. For someone listening to this who either is very new or has not even started their journey with understanding their their mind money balance I'll mm-hmm. say um, where would you direct them or what advice would you give them mm. so are you thinking more about in their personal life or in their business life Ooh. 
take it how you want to take it. Okay. <laughs> so I, <laughs> yeah, well, we'll start with personal because we've spent some time on business because mm-hmm. a lot of it does fold over into our business lives. So what I often ask clients when I first meet them is like, tell me your money story. Tell me about your relationship with money. And most mm-hmm. of the time people need a little bit of prompting, like what like I pay my bills. Is that what you mean? And I'm like, no. So when <laughs> I ask people, what is your money story? What, what is your relationship with money? What I'm trying to get at is what do you believe money is and isn't? Meaning, what are you allowed to spend money on, save money for, invest in, shop for, own, give, donate, etc. All of the things you think you are should be doing with money or are allowed to do with money. Um, and also thinking about what does it feel like when you actually engage with your finances, when you check to see if your paycheck was deposited or when you log into your retirement account and look at those numbers or when you have to sit down and dig through all of your receipts to file taxes, what are the physical sensations that come up in your body? What are the thoughts that race through your your head? Are you like, oh my gosh, I just can't wait to get this over. This is so uncomfortable. Are you feeling pretty cozy about things? Are you feeling surprised? Start just tracking like we do with so many of our clients. You know, what's going on when this thing happens? What's going on when you get these like tantrums or these outbursts? Oh, well, A, B, and C happen first. So really just starting to check in with yourself to see what your relationship with money is like so you can work on whether or not it's working for you or not. And what I mean by that is if it's working for you, you are able to look at your money and understand with confidence and competence that you are in control of your money and your money is not in control of you. You are purposely and intentionally saying this money goes towards these bills, this money goes towards my retirement, this money goes towards taxes or charity. You are the one in control of where your money is going. Um, And if it feels way out of control for you, if it feels like your money is kind of this big thing looming over you, that's probably a sign it's time to engage in your relationship with money. And a big misconception about having a healthy relationship with money is that in our culture, we are kind of told that the more money you have, the better your relationship with money will be, mm. right? So yeah. it's it's like, well, when you get that pay raise, you'll feel better. When you move into that nice neighborhood, everything will be easier, right? We're kind of sold on this idea that money fixes the way you feel about particular things. And as you know, I'm a proponent of, yes, we absolutely need money to take care of ourselves and have an overflow. And at the same time, having more money without addressing what we think about money won't make our uncomfortable feelings about money go away. Mm. So I was going to jump on the feelings, which is the beginning and end of that. So thank you for that. (laughs) Sure. One of the things that I try my darndest to do is, uh, you know, we get the bills, right? They come in the mail, they come in your email, whatever. And like, notice that feeling, uh, which for me is usually some discomfort. But when I pay the bills, I consciously tell myself like, oh, oh, I'm so grateful that I have the ability to pay these. Like, it feels good to be able to take care of this. Um, And for anyone, I live in a rural area. In the winter, especially, we lose power a lot for days at a time. And so every time I pay that, the electricity comes back on and like, you're so grateful for it. And I try and bring that into when I pay the bills. I'm like, oh, we have electricity. Like, you know, we're not going to have to go out, um, go without unless a tree comes down or something, which happens. But anyway, yes. trying to, to get myself to re refire those neural pathways in a way that's like, you know, bills are good. They provide services for us that we need to live and be comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's something that I have consciously been working on in, in that framework. Good for you. That is, that is the, one of the biggest things, right? Is re building, reconnecting new habits for your brain Mm -hmm. when you're feeling like, oh, this feels so bad, you know? Oh, I'm able to pay my bills and I'm able to keep the lights on and heat my home. What a gift. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that I saved money for this. So true. So, so true. So this will tie probably well into um, what is financial anxiety? Mm. What does that mean? 
Sure. So anxiety is a normal emotion that all humans experience that when it is in a healthy state is a temporary response to a stressor that mm. looks like feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge. It can come along with some physical sensations, you know, sweating, shortness of breath, and some racing, uncomfortable thoughts. So when we add in money to anxiety and think about financial anxiety, it's the same set of symptoms in relationship to money. So it's feeling anxious, uncomfortable, or on edge with a series of racing thoughts that feel out of control or uncontrollable that might come along with some physical sensations when you engage with your money. Mm. Yes, yes. So that would be every time I get the bills. I <laughs> yes, yeah. And obviously people can't see you, but what Trisha just did <laughs> was shrug up her shoulders and shook her hands, like, you know, making that tension with her body. And that is a literal response that I'll see. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I'm sure people can relate to that. Um, yes. Yes, for sure. So how do we combat financial anxiety? Hmm. So or maybe combat isn't a bit good word. I don't know. <laughs> If, if it works for you, it works for you. So I think about financial anxiety similar to the way that I think about traditional anxiety in that we're all bound to experience it throughout our lives, particularly when something new is happening. We get a new job, we're in a new tax bracket, we move to a new town and costs are different. Ah, I have to like get used to this new number, get used to this new set of bills. Of course, we're going to experience some new anxiety around that. But if it lingers, if it continues to stay beyond that initial um, kind of getting balanced out equilibrium phase, then it's probably a good time to investigate it, investigating it the same way we would with traditional anxiety. So mm -hmm. taking a look at those anxious thoughts, a lot of the times anxious thoughts around money look like I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'll never understand it, I'm doomed to be in debt for the rest of my life, right? A lot of these kind of um, negative self-talk thoughts go on in our heads and then we feel and behave in the same way. And when we feel anxious about money, what happens can, can kind of snowball on itself, right? So if we are anxious about money and we deal with that anxiety by procrastinating paying the bills or opening up our credit card statements, what happens over time is that not only are, are, is the interest on those unpaid bills going to go up, our credit score will also go down, making it this awful double whammy of trying to dig out of something like that. So we have to be really mindful when we're experiencing financial anxiety when it comes to avoidance and procrastination to try and reframe those thoughts in a more compassionate way. And it might be something mm -hmm. like, to use this example of, of having a hard time staying on top of bills. If the anxious thought is, I'm so worried, I'll never understand how to pay my bills, it might be something like, it makes sense that I'm worried to open my bills because in the past I've struggled with high statements on my credit cards. The good news is I have done X, Y, and Z. So give yourself some credit for the things you've done financially. I've been able to maintain my grocery budget. I you know, cut a couple of streaming services, right? Something that can demonstrate that you have proof and, and some ownership over your money. And then shifting it into, it makes sense I'm nervous. I have some proof that I've coped with past financial hiccups. I know I can do it again. And then moving into some sort of new behavior pattern, whether that's I'll open my bills once a week, whether that's I'll sit down with my electronic bank and, and pay my bills once a month, whatever it is, moving into some sort of pace of action that feels good. Mm -hmm. Now, on the flip side, a lot of people who experience financial anxiety experience financial perfectionism. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm not doing this right. And it's a different type of energy where they end up overchecking. They're constantly looking at their bank account. They're constantly looking at their retirement account. They're constantly checking, you know, if they're business owners, their stripe to see if money was deposited into their accounts. There's a lot of this anxiety over whether or not those things are. And so in that instance, I would invite them to, to just see what happens if instead of checking daily, they check weekly. Or if they check multiple times a day, just check once in the evening or once in the morning. And again, reminding themselves, it makes sense I'm anxious because one time a client forgot to pay. Now I have a better financial boundary in place in my practice, and I know what I would do if somebody didn't pay again, and I'm, I'm going to work on just checking my, my numbers once a week instead. 
Yeah. Oh, those are both really good. The second version had not occurred to me as deeply, so I'm really glad you said that. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that stuck out to me was the mindset shifts you said were not like polar opposites. Right. I think a lot of the times, you know, we'll say like an affirmation sometimes like is the opposite of what you're feeling Mm because the goal is to get there. Mm-hmm. But to get to that almost neutral space that's like, hey, I acknowledge that this is happening and like why I am feeling this way. And, you know, you don't have to get all the way to the other side right now through those action steps. You'll get there and it'll feel more natural. Mm. Yeah. And that's so important is to give our brain something to believe. <laughs> our brains mm. are really smart. And if we go from I feel like garbage to I feel amazing, our brain's going to go, no, you don't, Lindsay, (laughs) right? So instead of making that big jump, we add a little bit of a bridge. So we say, you know, someday I'll feel amazing. Right now I'm working on feeling good, right? Adding that little qualifier in there so our brain can get on board is huge. So thanks for pointing that out. Totally. I I appreciate that. So we've touched on – some therapist specific anxieties and money blocks but are there any others that you see a lot um that you you know want to call out and tell us about yeah so so again we've been talking about money from this place of of scarcity and not enoughness i won't pay my Mm -hmm. bills or my clients won't pay me because those are common and frequent anxieties and there are a lot of common anxieties around what it means to earn money Does it mean I'm a bad person if I earn enough? What does enough look like for me? I work Mm -hmm. with a lot of people who say, I don't know what my colleagues will say if I raise my rates. Your example earlier, is it okay that my supervisor knows I'm charging a higher rate than them? Um, So also getting comfortable with why is that anxiety coming up there? What is it about guilt and worthiness that's coming up for you? And working on that as well. Again, having more money isn't going to magically fix things, but looking at the money and being thoughtful and intentional about it is is so, so paramount. Yeah, definitely. All right. So are there any resources you want to share or places that you would direct people? Uh, Obviously, you have an amazing podcast and website. You have a book. I will have all of that linked in the show notes, but feel free to tell us more about those and anything else that comes up. Mm, Yeah, this is a good question. So this is what I will say to your listeners. There is a plethora, thankfully, of places where you can get your financial knowledge from. I would invite you to not commit to a specific one until you read a little bit about each of them and read their philosophies a little bit. There are some people that are super um, rigid and you have to do this before you can do that. And for some people that feels really good. They like to have that type of roadmap. And for other people, it feels a little too judgmental and strict. So then we turn over here and we look at somebody else who offers, you know, maybe a more holistic or a slower plan or a more individualized plan. So, so take everything with a grain of salt. I'm a fan of, of following other people on Instagram or listening to other folks' podcasts and getting an idea of what feels good for you. In terms of books that I have leaned on that I found to be helpful, Erin Lowry wrote the Broke Millennial series. So it's a three-part yeah. book series, and it's written in a very non-judgmental way that I find to be really helpful. So it's, it's the Broke Millennial series, and one is about money management, one's about investing, and one's about how to have conversations about money. Um, so that one's good. If you are more in touch with like the somatic side, the feelings side of things, Barry Tesler, B-A-R-I, she wrote the book, The Art of Money. And it's really about your money story and getting in touch with the feeling side of things. And I think kind of a blend of those two can work out really well. But if you're over on Instagram, there are lots and lots of people over there. I love following Elevest, uh, The Financial Diet. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm like, no, that's okay. Dumpster Doggy. There's a lot of great people out there. Hey, Berna. Um, And you'll notice, I did not do this on purpose, but I'm reflecting on it because I think it's important. Everybody I mentioned identifies as female. Mm. That's also really, really important. Because women in our country were literally boxed out of finances until the 60s and 70s. They didn't have access to banks, credit cards, lines of credit without their husband or their dad's 
signature. Mm. So when we think about how far behind we are to having access to our own bank account, our own credit card, our own ability to take out loans for ourselves, we are behind. So I think it's so, so important to get information and knowledge from people who are, are addressing that in a meaningful way. Um, so I did not intentionally do it, but right as I kind of heard myself going through it, I'm like, actually, I think it is important to make sure that we, we note that. Yeah, totally. I, so I, um, use Ella Vest and have yes. for years. And okay. so when I saw your collaboration with them, I was like, oh my goodness, like <laughs> it just made me so excited for you because everything that they're doing is awesome. And it's great that you get to be part of that platform. Um, so congratulations Thank to you, you. but yes. it's also great to see like, two things that I, I love and appreciate so much work, like come together. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm having trouble putting, putting this feeling into words, but it's just nice to see worlds collide, Mm. I guess, you know, obviously you work in the same space, but yeah, very excited for that. Thank you. Yes. Awesome. Cool. So do you have anything else you want to share before we move into the rapid fire? Your listeners should take my quiz. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a free quiz. It helps you learn more about your money archetype, which helps you to understand why you might be saving, spending, or earning in the way that you do. Um, it's free. It's at mindmoneybalance.com slash quiz. And then when you take it, DM me on Instagram and let me know what one you got. I'm, I'm super curious, just like anything else, when we have information about what we're experiencing, when we can see ourselves in an archetype or a diagnosis or a label that we hadn't previously seen, it provides just the space and visibility to go, oh, there are more people out there like me. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's a fun fun little way to get engaged in, in the world of our relationship with money. Yeah, I um, I actually took the quiz alongside my my business partner just like to see how we compared and and we got the same answer and I thought we were going to be different, but we got the same answer. Yeah. And I was like, this is either really good for us or really bad, <laughs> right? Because they both have the the, the shadow side, yes. all, all of the, mm-hmm. the archetypes where it's kind of like, okay, like you're good at this, but also this could be your detriment. So yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So funny. Yes, definitely. Um, I will have that linked and the listeners should check cool. that out for sure. For sure. Because that, I think, also informs when you are looking at all these other resources and stuff to know your tendency and then be able to see all the other financial information in the light that most applies to you. Yep. If that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. So the rapid fire questions are short, but your answers don't have to be. Cool. And they're all about you. So so don't stress. Sometimes you get worked out. (laughs) All right. The first one is coffee or tea? Coffee. Uh, yeah, I have coffee every morning. I am the person who gets a splitting headache if I don't have coffee within 30 minutes of being awake. I tried cutting it out and then I decided, no, that's the vice I'm going to be keeping forever. And I love tea too, but tea won't wake me up. I need mm. coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Early bird or night owl? Neither. I'm a bear apparently so there are three sleep chronotypes the Mm -hmm. early bird the night owl and then the bear and the bear wakes up with the sun and goes to bed with the sun and that is definitely me (laughs) like it's already getting dark out earlier as we're recording this and already I'm like ooh, probably 45 minutes and I'll put on my pajamas (laughs) yes yes I I probably I've never actually looked into it but I'm probably also a bear but that doesn't work in New England in the winter yeah um, totally but maybe we should maybe we should all be sleeping you know a ton of hours who knows oh, the world would be a different place that's for sure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something you'd tell your younger self oh this is a really good and hard question oh I I look back at my younger self And I think oftentimes I was faking having confidence. So I would Mm. probably share with them that it's okay to be, um, it's okay to be vulnerable. Yeah. 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 
So I usually ask people what their music therapy elevator speech is because um, people (laughs) in general don't necessarily know it's not about music therapy. So I'm interested to hear what you think music therapy is. And I'm going to say there's no wrong answer because this helps us inform. No, no, really. It helps us inform how we're perceived and therefore how to how to describe what we do. So what do you think music therapy is? I think music therapy is a way for therapists and their clients to work together to help them express things, their clients express things that maybe they haven't been able to in traditional ways. So having a creative outlet and a way to move their bodies and hear sounds can be a different way to help with, you know, nervous system regulation, creativity, anger mechanisms, um, But I'll be very transparent that when I first think about music therapy, I very much think of like Rafi sitting down (laughs) across somebody else, like doing like a a banjo drum sesh. So that is the image that comes to mind. I would say the image is, and music therapists listening to this are going to hate me. The image is pretty accurate, but everyone (laughs) in the background is going, no, but you acknowledged the therapeutic relationship. So yeah, yeah. you're allowed to refer to a music therapist in your area at any time. You would be a good referral. Thank you. All right. I love it. (laughs) What is your favorite self-care practice? Oh, it is hands down every Thursday. I make a huge thing of stovetop popcorn. I get on the couch with my dog and I binge watch Bravo TV. It is a non-negotiable for me and has been for many, many years. And it is the way I restore my nervous system. Yeah, it's Bravo therapy. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Love that. Something that's currently adding value to your life. Um, that's a good question. I really appreciate you asking this question because it feels like things have been stuck in a state of sameness for a long time. But Mm. actually, I would say that what's been adding value is how the interactions with others in my life have felt more palatable and more meaningful over the last, you know, 20 months, 18 months, whatever it's been. So I would Mm. say just having that moment of reflection before and after interactions with people has, has made me really reflect on the value of other, other relationships in my life. Yeah. Ooh, well said. So I usually ask people their favorite song or intervention to use in a session. So I know that doesn't really apply. So take it how you will. What's one of your favorite things to do either as a therapist or as a coach? Oh my gosh. Um, this is, this is like trying to pick your favorite musical instrument, I imagine, totally. right? It's like an impossible <laughs> situation. Um, one of my favorite things is honestly when I first start working with people and I do kind of their social history, but through the lens of money. So mm. we go back in time. What did your parents or caregivers do for a living? Where did you live? What was your first interaction with money? And it is so fun to watch new clients start to connect the dots in that very first session about what might have shaped their relationship with money and to just pause and think about what did money feel like in my household growing up? What did it feel like to, you know, have a lemonade stand on the corner, right? All of those things. So it's really fun because it happens in that very first session. And often I think therapy gets a bad rap of being too slow or too laid back and it feels like a good way to jump in without overwhelming anyone yeah totally 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 all right the last question is where can the listeners find you and connect with you of course they can find me at mindmoneybalance.com my podcast is the same name my instagram handle is the same name so they can find me wherever they would like Awesome. I will have all of that linked in the show notes. And I want to thank you um, for all the work you're doing and for making the time to come talk with me and share with share with the listeners. Thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to have this conversation and I'm just so glad to be connected. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I thought, I thought, (laughs) I hope you found it thought-provoking and insightful and you check out all of the awesome resources that are in the show notes to continue uh, your own personal finance and professional finance journey. I think that the more we talk about this kind of stuff, the more conversations we have, the more um, personal shifts we have on this topic, the more interpersonal shifts and changes there will be. And we will um, go leaps and bounds in our profession and what we're capable of, um, of achieving financially. I know that a lot of us feel tension and contention about the, the standard income for a music therapist, we'll say, and you know, it's, it's time to make some changes one way or another. So let's, let's have more open conversations, more dialogues on this topic. If you enjoyed this show, please consider leaving us a rating and review. Those really help the podcast. You can also support us by subscribing so you never miss an episode and finding us on social media. We are at Music Therapy Chronicles on all the platforms. Also hop on our newsletter. Uh, You get an exclusive self-care episode for getting on the newsletter, as well as sneak peeks of upcoming content and episodes and uh, pod courses and all that good stuff. So you can find that at musictherapychronicles.com. Also, don't forget to check out our latest pod course, Music is Your Superpower, and all the other awesome pod courses that are currently on sale over at mtpodcastcollective.com. The link for that, of course, will also be in the show notes. Our quote today comes from John Rampton. Don't let money run your life. Let money help you run your life better. 